From the 915 to H-Town, from the Panhandle Plains to the Valley, and everywhere in between, this is the 5050 Podcast, powered by National Scouting Report. Join me, Hector Cano, as we cover the Texas high school club and college soccer landscape, along with an inside look at the college soccer recruiting scene. The 5050 Podcast is a platform about the people and for the people who are dedicated to the beautiful game. Here we go. It's another edition of the 5050 podcast powered by our proud partners, National Scouting Report. They are the world's leading authority on athletic recruiting. You can get more information on what they're about on social media at NSR NSR now on Twitter slash X, whatever we want to call that Instagram at NSR underscore now. And you can also get more information on the many great things they're doing on their website at NSR dash Inc dot com. All right. My next guest, he is a re- he, he is a returning champion, as we like to call him, right? Mm-hmm. A uh, former, already a 50-50 podcast alum, fresh from his trip back in uh, Australia, Australia slash New Zealand in the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. He is Coach Randy Waldrum. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great, Hector. Thank you. And, and again, I got to tell you, I, I love the graphics. I, I love what you're doing with your studio there. So uh, kudos to you. Appreciate you, Coach. Thank you. And uh, that goes to that's way beyond me. Trust me, that's our that's our, our podcast team. Our podcast team has actually grown a good bit since the last time you were on, Coach. So I think yeah. that was I want to say episode 36, 37, maybe. So yeah. it's been it's been a little bit, but uh but yeah, we've uh, we've definitely grown a little bit and we're grateful, grateful to have you on again as well. well thanks and, for having uh, me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so how's uh, how's it going? Well, it's going about 100 miles an hour, to be honest. You know, I, um, as everybody knows, I, I, I left to, to go to the World Cup around the 1st of July, I think, and um, got back after after the penalty kick loss to England and, uh, you know, flew back almost 20 hours back to the U.S. and then straight into to preseason. So I think I got home on a Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning I was out at preseason practice. So I haven't skipped yeah. a beat. No rest for the weary, right? <laughs> so what was, how, kind of curious before we start diving into, uh, you know, the World Cup, what was, how did the, your team back at Pitt receive you uh, when you showed up on Wednesday? What was that like? You know what, they were all in the uh, team meeting room uh, when I walked in and, you know, gave me a big round of applause. And I think they were, I think they were really proud of us, you know, and proud of me and proud of uh being a part of Pitt and and feeling like a part of um, of the World Cup as well, you know, I the first match against Canada, I accidentally uh, took my Pitt backpack out out to the bench, and so all the girls saw that. You know, they loved it. They they thought I had planted it there on purpose, and I said, well, right. if I'd have thought about it, I would have. But I said I accidentally took it out there, and uh, uh, luckily the cameras picked up on it. But no, they've been fantastic with me yeah. throughout this whole process. Little uh, spot uh, spot promotion there, spot marketing there, right? That's I like right. That. Yeah, I like yeah. That. Now, um, so you walk in, you I don't, were they expecting you, or did you surprise them? I don't think they were expecting me that morning, you know, because yeah. we had just come back, and I don't think they knew exactly when I arrived. So I think they were pretty surprised to see me that morning. 
Right, right. So awesome. That's great stuff. And obviously, yeah. we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more about Pitt uh, and what's cool. going on there right now because you've done you you and your staff, obviously Ben as well. You all have done a tremendous job in terms of where that program was when you all arrived and where they are now. So we'll definitely get get into that more as well. All right. But, um, so thoughts, Coach. We'll dive in here um, as part of our buildup. Thoughts on. I guess when we say, you know, the women's world cup this past, you know, over this last month, while you were in it. And then after, unfortunately you talked about the, uh, the penalty, you know, the penalty loss to England thoughts of while you were in it. And then when you finally got to see the rest of the tournament, when you were out of it. Yeah. You know, it was, um, <laughs> it's kind of hard to explain, but obviously, um, you know, I had publicly spoken out about some of the issues we faced uh, prior to the World Cup. Um, and and so we went into this with really people won't understand this, but we had 10 days of practice. You know, we arrived, the whole team arrived in Australia between the first and the fourth. Uh, so our first match, I believe, was on the 20th. Um, so we had literally, it's 14 days, but we didn't have 14 days because we played an exhibition in between. So the day before and the day after, you know, you have to be light, um, you know, because of the game. So we literally had about 10 days to train. So quite honestly, going into it, as a coach, you're really concerned, you know, is it enough time to prepare? And did we do enough, you know, to prepare for it? Um, a credit to the players, I mean, they bought into what we were trying to do over those 10 days and they executed really all the tactical game plans we had in every match. They really executed it to a T. I wish we could have done more. I think it caught us a little bit in England at the end and I can dive yeah. in with you here in a few minutes if you want. But uh, considering everything they they went through prior to the World Cup and what I went through, the playing part of the World Cup was really, really good. Um, the training... Mm -hmm the performances of the team, uh, I was really happy about off the field, you know, still some things that we had to solve and some issues and things. Um, but I'd say the overall experience was, was great. Uh, the fans in Australia were fantastic to us. Uh, I'd take a walk every morning. I'd get up early and take a walk, uh, kind of downtown Brisbane where we were staying and the fans were just so appreciative of our, of our team. And yeah. they just like, good quality sport you know they're they're a very kind of a sporting country and so they appreciate it even after we beat australia you know they would come up and congratulate me and say even though you beat us you know i wanted to tell you how much i enjoy your team and you know it's different than in some countries where they might be you know cussing at you or throwing rocks at you or whatever right, uh, right. they were very good but you know once we got knocked out um and i got back to the u.s i had a chance to watch the rest of the games and it played out after that fact, after the first knockout games, it probably played out the way, you know, I probably would have expected it after that first round. So going into mm -hmm. the to the quarterfinals, I probably maybe a little surprised at Japan uh, not advancing beyond Sweden. Right. Um, right. But I figured England would beat, you know, Colombia and, and, and the rest of the results kind of held true to, to what yeah. I thought. And the only the only thing that surprised me a little is I felt a little bit like England were just on a roll. I felt like they just found ways to win, even when they weren't playing well. Mm -hmm. So on, on the one hand, I thought they might win it in the final, basically because of what Spain's going through, you know, missing right. 12 key players and, you know, what happened before the world cup for them. 
but I tell you, Spain played so well in the final and, and deserved to win it, you know. So um, I do think the probably the two best teams made it to the final uh, mm-hmm. based on their performances. And um, maybe one could argue about Japan being one of those teams until they got knocked out. But, um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it, you know, the rest of the way through, watching it all the way up through the final. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting we talk about, the, the matchups right and just like in just like in boxing right styles make the matchups mm-hmm. and somehow somewhere and ob- it was it was obviously clear in group play how well japan had figured out and how they met how they matched up and could adjust to playing mm-hmm. against spain right yeah. unlike anyone else right yeah. so i was i was thoroughly convinced that they were going to meet up again in what was that the, i think the quarterfinal what would right. be the quarterfinal? Yeah. Yeah. And and I thought <clears throat> I thought it was a, it would have been a coin toss just because yeah. for some reason, Japan, uh, that just seemed to be Spain's kryptonite for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, that one, that would surprise me a little bit, too. Um, yeah. But like I, said, I think the rest of it kind of held true to form. And, and um, uh, you know, I think the neat thing about it was watching some of the emerging countries really perform so well. You know, Haiti played England very close in the opening game. Colombia to win the group, you know, as opposed to uh, Germany, you know, and, and Germany and, you know, uh, Brazil getting knocked out, you know, before the, the group stages. And, and and it was really neat to see, you know, even us, how well we performed. I, I, I think many people called ours the group of death and I probably would have agreed with this. I don't think anybody would have picked us to come out of that group prior to the World Cup. Um, so it was it was a really neat World Cup, especially when we expanded to 32 teams. I think there was a lot of questions on whether there would be some blowout games. And with the exception of one or two, there, there really weren't any. And I thought, the, uh, you know, even the Philippines got a got a result in a game. So I, I thought it was really good to see uh, all the countries start to improve on, on a world stage. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> what. Did you have a moment? So beyond the obvious, right, of the largest World Cup ever, third first one with thirty-two teams, right. and the fact of how how close the play really was for the most part. Right. What do you recall a particular moment? Either maybe you all were in a match, or yeah. just in the environment and watching other matches, maybe doing film study. Um, do you recall a particular moment where you kind of, where you had it, you had an epiphany, it hit you, where it's like, okay this world cup is going to be different very different well it, it really for me it, it happened right off the start in group play you know i think um and you'll have to refresh my memory but i, I think new zealand got a win against denmark i believe or, or something right off the yeah, right out of the gate yeah. right out of the gate and you know and you're thinking wow there's 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 one upset already and that was the day before i think we played canada so i'm you know i'm, I'm optimistic i'm going well that, that gives me a little bit of hope you know and um and i think we saw it really in in the group stages you know with with, with germany getting such a big win and then the second match losing to colombia right. you know you we just right. you saw it starting to happen even at the group stage and so um i think that for the whole world cup kind of was the time i felt it would be different i think for for me and for uh, our team, um, I, you know, I, as a coach, I have to be honest with you guys because I know there's a lot of coaches listening here. I think we've all done this at our whatever level we coach at, but you go into some really big games like this and you're just hoping that you make a good showing. You know, you're hoping that you don't lose four or five zero. And 
you know, playing the Olympic gold medalist in the first match, it's one of those that I just, I felt it, we really needed to get something out of the first game. If we had mm -hmm. any chance, we needed to get a point or three points because I, I felt if we lost that match, then we had to beat Australia and then would probably have to beat Ireland to, to advance. So that first game is so important. And um, <laughs> one of the things we did when we got there with only 10 days, I really just picked two things to coach. And one of the things we worked on really hard was getting into a defensive block mm -hmm. and then deciding from match to match how high we wanted to play that block or how low we wanted to play it. And Because I knew with the competition, I knew we didn't have enough time to put an offensive game model in place uh, to where we could play head up with those teams. Right. And so we worked on a defensive model and then knowing that we were going to be playing with a lower defensive line, then we worked on countering out of that. And so for the 10 days, we didn't look at Australia. We didn't look at Ireland. Everything was focused on the Canada game, getting results out of Canada. And uh, so it was really uh, important for us to get that first. And of course, I remember, you know, five minutes in the second half, we give away the penalty and, and who steps up but Sinclair, you know, to hit the penalty. And I'm right. thinking, oh, gosh, we've we've worked so hard to keep it even at this point. Yeah. And then when she came up with a big save, uh, yeah. which she's done before, by the way, she's a great goalkeeper. But um, I, I, I thought we okay, we got a chance to get something out of this game. So once we, you know, once we got the the point, it's kind of a relief, and it's almost like, well, good, we're going to walk out of here at least with with a result of some kind, you know. And uh, there's two more games to play, but at least we're not going to get you know three losses and go home kind of right. thing. And I think it was a big confidence boost for our players to do that against the Olympic gold medalist. And then, um, then again, going into the second game, you know, with, with Canada, we really wanted our defending block to be at the top of the circle. But if you watch the game, our block dropped deeper into the bottom of the circle. Right. Yeah. The top. yeah, I did, I did notice but that. It went deeper and deeper and it was deeper than we wanted it. But then when we played Australia, they have so much pace up top that we wanted it at the bottom of the circle. So we basically had to tell the players the way you played Canada is the way we need to play Australia. Because mm -hmm. I felt like they weren't going to be as good of a build-up team to play around our block or through it. Uh, watching all their games where they'd had their success even prior to the World Cup was um, winning the ball and then playing off a counter and playing long, you know, and getting their, their flank players in or their strikers in. So we really wanted to condense the space behind our back so they didn't have the room to play in. And I think that worked to a T, you know, against Australia. And it wasn't until the end when we were up 3-1 that they really started getting on top of us and trying to push for that, you know, that that's that goal right. to get them back in the game. And fortunately we held out to, I don't know, a minute left and the 11 minutes that was added of extra time before we conceded. So we got out of there. So we were fortunate not to concede a second goal earlier than that, or it could have been a real problem. And then with Ireland, you know, we just felt um, we still wanted to be good in our defensive shape, but I felt like we could go after them a little bit more. In the first half, we really didn't. It almost looked like we, we needed a result. We needed a point yeah. or a win. A win would win the group. Uh, a tie would, would get us through. And I think the players played a little bit on edge, a little nervous the first half where mm -hmm. uh, they were afraid to make mistakes. And then, you know, we got in and made some adjustments at halftime and we were a much, much better team in the second half and a little disappointed we didn't get the win. I think we hit the crossbar once or twice at the at the end of that game and uh, didn't get the win but got through. And then the interesting thing, Hector, is when we got to 
England in the quarterfinal. Uh, I watched them play China uh, in the group stage, and China set back in a low block and was very organized, by the way, yeah. in their block. But England, because they put no pressure on their three backs and they didn't deal with, uh, you know, with Lauren up, uh, up front for them, Lauren James, uh, England just played right through their block and China wasn't very aggressive in it. And of course, you know, the result was whatever, six, six zero or six one, right. whatever it was. It was six, yeah. Yeah. So what we ended up deciding to do is in that game, instead of sitting in a low block, you know, I decided to say, I don't want those three backs to make the game. So we pushed our three forwards onto the three backs to press them. So they couldn't have time to play. And then the, with their two holding mids, they're they're very key with Walsh in there, and um, they're very key playing through those two holding mids. So I had our two attacking mids just lock them down and, and mark them man to man, and then we put Halamatu Iendi on Lauren James and said just follow her everywhere, take her out of the game. Yeah. And England wasn't prepared for that, you know. And and of course, you know, we were a bit unlucky not to to win the game. I thought, but. Um, you know, after the match, of course, I had drafted Rachel Daly when I was with the Dash. Right, correct. I knew Rachel very well. And I was congratulating her after the game and had a chance to speak to her and, and give her a hug and congratulate her. And she said, Coach, man, we were not prepared for you at all. She said, we spent all week trying to break down a, a low block, expecting you guys to do that. And, and, of course, when we came out and we didn't play that way, they, they just weren't ready for it. So I think tactically we had the game plan mm -hmm. well well done. I think where it hurt us, to be honest with you, from a coaching standpoint, is with only 10 days to really prepare, we covered the topics like playing a man up or playing a man down or managing the game. We covered those topics in a classroom, but we really didn't have time to go out on the field and spend time working on playing a man up and a man down. Implement, right. Yeah, and I think those watching the game would probably agree with me. We were better playing against England when they had 11 than when they had 10. And because England dropped back in a little bit of a lower block right. and they came to a 4-4-1, and that's the time we should have put the ball down and kept it and tried to play around the flanks and get service and crosses in the box. And we kept just trying to play long and direct. And that, to me, is a direct reflection of not having enough time to prepare yeah. your team uh, for those kind of moments, you know, but um, having said that, uh, a great effort and, and we were a bit unlucky, you know, uh, Ashley Plumpter hit the crossbar in the first half and then I think we hit it again in the second half, um, you know, against them. So a little bit unlucky, I thought, not to come away with a win uh, against the European champions. But a lot of people may not think about this, but we played four games. You know, we played the Olympic gold medalists and they were seventh in the world. We played host nation Australia, they're 10th in the world. We play Ireland, who's 21st in the world. We're 40th in the world. And then we play the European champions, England, that were third in the world. And we really, in 90 minutes, we didn't lose a game. You know, yeah. we, we, right. we didn't lose. We lost in penalties. We didn't lose in a, in a game. And we got three clean sheets out of uh, four games. And, you know, one was against the Olympic gold medalist and one was against the European champions. So, mm -hmm. I, I, as disappointed as I am, we didn't make it another round at least. Um, I couldn't be more proud, you know, more proud yeah. of the team. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and obviously it's been, it's been well noted in terms of the, you know, the unfortunate set of circumstances going on yeah. with that obviously yourself and your players have had to deal with in terms of the Nigerian Federation. But yeah. what, as this whole process is playing out, right, the group play 
and then the uh, the round of 16 matchup with England. How how are you? How are the players processing this? How's the team processing this? And then maybe hearing from family back home, being yeah. embraced by you know the citizens back home as well. What yeah. was what was from their perspective? What you know what? How were you? You're trying to get the the pulse of the team. What was yeah. that like? Because that's a that's a tough that's a tough situation when you're having to navigate all that. Yeah, and kind of at odds with your federation. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a tough ask for anybody. And um, what we did when I got there on the first night, what whatever day that was, July third or fourth, whenever I arrived, um, on that that first night that the team arrived and I arrived, we had a team meeting, and in that meeting, um, I basically explained to them, you know, why I had spoken out, and and really I'd spoken out to be a voice for our players that don't always have a voice. And they had also met with, uh, I think it's well documented, they had met with the people at FIFA Pro, which is the, the body of FIFA that, you know, fights for players' rights and that kind of thing. It's, the, it's yeah. a, kind of the arm of FIFA that does that. And they had already spoken to FIFA Pro without me even knowing that they had approached them. So what we decided that night is to be professional, set everything aside, and not discuss any of those issues uh, with anybody within the team, with the media, we made it a, an agreement amongst all of us that we would just focus on the football while we were there and then let everything, you know, take care of itself um, the way it's supposed to, to take care of itself. So that's where I thought the players were really, really professional because in, in other past instances, they had let that really bother them. It affected us in, the African Cup of Nations, I think it affected them in the last World Cup. And, you know, we just didn't want that to uh, to be a reason for us to not succeed. And they were great. I never heard the whole time I was there, I never heard them discuss this. I never heard them talk about issues, nothing but fully engaged in training, in our tactics, in film study, you know, all of those things. And, of course, you know, the media continued to try to ask me about it pretty much at all the early press conferences. And I made it pretty clear early on that, you know, um, th this wasn't, you know, the point of me being there to discuss that at this time that our, our full focus was on the football. And, and I think everybody did a really good job of that. And that that's why we were able to have that success. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think one of the things that that has to get mentioned along the way, because obviously you're over there living it, but you, the play of, you know the the play of your of your squad, uh, the play of your team, and the fact that they're being led, they're being coached by you know by an American coach, a Texan at that, and one with roots all the way back to Texas high school soccer, right? Um, I don't I don't know if it's really been mentioned to you or if it's really you know if it's hit you if you had a, a chance to digest that. It really struck a chord with you know, with the American, American fan base, whether it was your hardcore supporters, U.S. women's national team, other countries, uh, or even your casual, right. Your casual followers. And it yeah. was kind of, it was just a great sense of pride having you there and the success of your team. And, um, and you can say one can might say, well, they got, you know, they, they didn't make it past the round of 16, but it was, it was how they performed, right. How they right. performed. And, yeah. and as I, as I mentioned to you, I've mentioned this to a lot of people that, when you all played uh, that Nigeria Australia match was perhaps the best one that I saw, most exciting yeah. one that I saw. So, um, how how you had them again? 
in spite of all the chaos going on, right, and all yeah. the issues, they they came to play and they came they came to win. They came to win, right? It wasn't to just be happy to be there. And right. uh, I, I think you you cannot be commended enough. And you made a lot of us, a lot of a lot of us fellow coaches, fellow Texans, fellow Americans, very proud. Well, I appreciate you saying that. You know, it was hard for me because I think I mentioned this to you before we started the show is. Uh, in Australia, watching the matches, you know, obviously they have the Australian commentators and 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 people in studios there uh, calling the match. So I've taped all the games, but I haven't had a chance to go back and watch and see what the American broadcasters were were saying about the game. So I probably haven't gotten a good sense for what you're saying yet of of how it resonated with the people here in the U.S. and especially back in Texas. Obviously, I've had you know close friends and family and the people all back in Pittsburgh, you know, they were, they were keeping up and, and letting me know, you know, how proud they were. Uh, but yeah, it probably hasn't hit me yet. You know, what, what really we have achieved uh, and hopefully I'll get a chance to experience some of that. What will you take as perhaps your biggest personal memory from this world cup? Yeah. You know, the overall, the biggest memory will just be on the biggest stage in the world, you know, as coaches, just like we were as players, you know, you always want to have the opportunity to play for a championship or play on a big stage. And, uh, you know, some have, have ambitions of being at a World Cup and others have ambitions of playing for a Texas State High School Championship and others for a club like it, you know, whatever level that you aspire to be. And I think all of us are driven to try to to do it the best we can. And the thing I'll take away is on the world stage against some of the best teams in the world. Uh, that we played just in our in our setting, um, I'll take away how our players responded to the coaching over those ten days and how well they prepared and fought and competed for those. You know, there's individual games. I'm like you. Right. the The Canada game brought a lot of joy because it was the first game and it was an important one to get off on the right foot, and especially with the big penalty kick save. So I have memories of that game. But I'm like you, the two games that really stand out for me is the Australia game when really we weren't very good the first half. I mean, defensively we're holding our own, but we weren't really getting after them a little bit on the counter like we had hoped. And then uh, Uchenna Kanu, when they scored with five minutes before the half, and then Kanu scored with about two minutes left before the half, that was a big game-changing goal because it was all the difference. You go in now tied when you haven't played that well. And I think it gave our kids great confidence. And then to come out and all of a sudden look at the scoreboard and go, oh, my God, I'm telling Kyle, my assistant, I'm going, can you believe we're winning this freaking game 3-1, you know? <laughs> and um, just the excitement of it, because it got really exciting yeah. even for the Australian fans. Of course, that was played in front of 47,000 fans, which was a sellout right. in that game. You couldn't hear. I mean, it's, it's useless to try to stand up on the sidelines and give instructions. You know, the, the players can't hear you. You can't hear yourself. Um, but to manage that game at the end when they really made a, a push to come back and they got that second goal, I think it probably for the fans was really exciting. For me, it was, oh, of course. More, yeah, for me, it was probably a little bit more gray hairs and, and heart stopping right. moments. Uh, but then I think it was kind of the same feeling, even though we didn't get the goals in the England game, just to be able to play somebody like the European champions and play so well. And, and in fact, I think a lot of people, have told me they felt like we outplayed England. And I, I felt like mm -hmm. for large parts we did. And um, to be able to show uh, that we can play on the world stage with the world's best, 
that's going to be the big takeaway for me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Biggest trend. So this is kind of a two-parter here. Yeah. Biggest trend that maybe from your, in your opinion, biggest trend you noticed unfolding there from whether not just your matches, but in others and watching others, but the biggest trend you noticed in, in this world cup and where based upon that, I guess, where is, and obviously we know what the, the final result was on Sunday, right. but where do you also see the international game headed? Well, what I, what I saw, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to go back and study a little bit more because I was so engaged just in our team. Even right. when I watched the other games, I was kind of watching with one eye there and the other, the other yeah. one, you know, trying to look at, you know, uh, what we needed to do. But one of the things I noticed with all the teams uh, that I saw play um, is most all of the teams, and this is quite frankly between you and I, this is where I think the U.S. failed a little bit, but most of the teams to me looked like they had a very good game model in place and the players really tried to execute that game model. So, mm -hmm. for example, when I, you know, watching Canada play with their possession style and the interchange of, midfield players and forwards and, and overloading the wide areas with outside backs and the things that they do uh, in that game model, they were really good at it. You know, Australia was a little different. Australia would keep possession a little bit in the back, mm -hmm. but they would keep possession only long enough to try to spring a player forward, you know? So it was a combination of with their back line and their two holding mids, it was a combination of putting three or four passes together but they're just trying to move you enough to now play behind you. Uh, so they had a different kind of a game model. But, you know, you look at Spain and you saw, I mean, my gosh, what a lesson in in player movement and mobility and and having a game model where it just was free-flowing and the passing was, was so good. And I thought a little bit with the U.S., that's why we lost our way on the games I saw. Um, and, again, I didn't see as much as everybody else did. But it just looked like we – we were out of ideas. Like, you know, it kind of seemed like we just played the game and wherever the ball went, we just reacted off of that instead of having a real clear vision of how to play, you know, Japan. And, and when I say a game model, I think teams at this world cup were more fluid in being able to tweak that and adjust that even in the run of play. Uh, you know, Japan had to tweak their game uh, against Spain in the run of play to get that result. Um, right. You know, we had to tweak it a little bit, you know, of ours in the way we played, like I said, between, uh, you know, Australia to the way we played England. Um, even in the second half of the Australia game, we had to adapt a little bit to get more offensive opportunities. And, you know, th that's one thing the international game does more so than the college game or more so than, than club soccer is uh, it's a big game of chess. Those coaches are all very good and they're mm -hmm. making in-game adjustments that, you know, and moves that you have to adjust to, or you're trying to make a move to exploit what they're doing. And, you know, with club soccer or high school soccer or even college soccer to a big extent, a lot of teams just have one formation they play and they just try to stick to it and hope it works. And they're not really adjusting as much, but that, that to me was probably the biggest thing I saw out of the world cup was, amazed how these game models of all the countries have really evolved and how well the players are disciplined in, in coordinating it. So I think you saw so many more teams so much better in possession in this World Cup than you have in, in previous games. So it was much more 
attractive to the eye, uh, much more attractive, I think, to a normal soccer fan, especially those that watch the men's game but don't think much of the women's game. I think we probably converted a lot of fans to see how well the women are playing now. So that, that to me, was probably a big trend. Uh, the other thing that happened, and I don't know, I don't know why, but I'll be interested to go back. It seemed like so many teams were missing penalty kicks. I, I've never seen oh, yeah. so, so many missed penalties in the run of play and in penalty kicks at the end, you know, uh, but uh, that'll be an interesting thing to, to look at once the FIFA technical report comes out. I'll be very right. curious to see what those numbers really were, but just off the cuff, it seemed like an awful lot of misses. I can remember, um, you know, uh, against against Vietnam, I think Alex Morgan missed one, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Claire missed against us. I think England maybe. I think England maybe beat Haiti off of a penalty kick, but it seemed like they missed it the first one and the keeper moved early and they had to right take off it. the line. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, but there was seemed to be several of those going through. So I was a little bit surprised early on. I think more were missed than made out of mm-hmm. the first six or eight games. So um, I don't know that that's a trend, but that's certainly one thing that I noticed in the world cup as well. Yeah. And and one one has to wonder: Is it obviously they're professionals, but they're still is it a different level of just a pressure filled moment, right? Possibly, and then. But the other thing too, I think I think on some level it clearly speaks to the uh, the technical analysis of goalkeepers and goalkeeping coaches, right? Yeah. Without a doubt, just their data their data research, I think as well. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and just exceptional. <clears throat> excuse me, exceptional play by yeah. goalkeepers as well. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think, yeah, that's a, I, that was, that's a interesting one to mention because yeah, that is very true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, we start to look forward coach. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, and I'm not entirely sure where this puts you now that the cycle, the cycle it's different in the women's game, right? Cause the cycle isn't completely over because you have the Olympics or oh. right for, for some nations next year. Mm-hmm. And don't quite know what in what capacity where you're at contractually still to Nigeria, but right. I do have to I do have to ask you this one, right? Is um, in case you didn't know, the uh, U.S. Women's National Team job is open. <laughs> so <laughs> I heard something about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's all kinds of lists going out there in terms of uh, potential candidates. If they, you know, if they came a if they came a knocking on uh, Coach Randy Waldrum's door. Yeah. Um, would you listen? Would you be interested? What are your thoughts on that? What can you share with us on that? Yeah. You know, I, l- let me say this. I would, I think any coach would be honored to be considered for their own country to coach the national team. So certainly back when I was at Notre Dame um, years ago, I was up for the job uh, and they ended up hiring uh, Tom Sermani instead. Um, I had gone in and interviewed for it then. I don't know where I'd be in the picture now, to be honest with you, Hector. I, I have not heard from anybody from U.S. soccer. Uh, I see some lists that I'm on and some lists that I'm not. Um, but certainly if, if the phone rang, you know, I would have to have to entertain it, you know, and, and have a conversation. It seems to me like a couple of things that I, I would think with, with U.S. soccer. It's One is it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic right now because I think if it stays kind of old school and in the same network of what they've done on the last two World Cup cycles with the same group of coaches, then somebody like myself and maybe a few others 
probably won't be in the mix if they kind of keep that circle of of um, people involved. If U.S. soccer decides it's time for a, a breath of fresh air and something new, um, then I think you know some of us um, may have an opportunity. And that's just speculation on my part. I don't know that for for sure. Um, but you know, I, I felt like it, it's an interesting thing because. I've paid attention to what's going on, or you know, after the World Cup with the coaches, and obviously some coaches have left and some have stayed. And it's interesting because everything I've seen on the U.S. is talking about uh, the world's catching up. You know, everybody's called us. Um, you, you know, we we gotta we gotta do everything differently because the world has caught up. And then I watched uh, the coach from Germany. You know, after they got eliminated, and I saw some reports on her. And not one time did I hear her challenge their federation to, hey, everybody's got caught up to us. That's why we got knocked out of the World Cup. Uh, her thing was very introspective and it was very much, here's what has to happen in Germany. Here's how we have to be better. These are the things we have to change from the youth level on up. And I think that's really where we need to go here with the U.S., uh, regardless who the coach is going to be. I think we have to take a look. You know, we've not been successful at, at the youth level and the youth world cup like we should and i don't think sure we can one can argue that the world's caught up uh, well absolutely because federations are putting more money and in making investments now so all of the other federations out there where their countries are investing they're going to get better uh, but look we still have a tremendous amount of talent in this country and oh, yeah. a pool of young players coming up the pipeline that we have so many players to choose from uh, we can't let the world is catching us be an excuse for us not to continue to move forward. We've got to be really uh, critical and analytical about uh, looking at all of our youth teams, you know, who's coaching those youth teams. Uh, what's the process of selecting those players? Um, do we have the right scouts out there scouting talent? I mean, it goes all the way, you know, I mean, everything's got to be looked at. But can the U.S. get back and win the next World Cup? Absolutely. I think can the U.S. do well in the Olympics? Absolutely. We have the talent to do it. I think the senior team needs, to me, they need a very clear game model and a very clear way of playing uh, because it looked to me like there was, you know, 11 players kind of playing um, in their own style, not not really right. have a cohesive understanding of a game model. and, and right how they were supposed to play. And again, I'm on the outside looking in, so it's easy to be critical. You don't really know what's going on in camp and, and what's going on with the players and the coaches. So that's not a criticism of Lodko. That's not a, that's just a, a, a critique of what I saw uh, of watching the team. So I think there's got to be a real clear understanding. I certainly have a way I like to teach and I think it clarifies those roles and, positions very clearly for players that players have to understand what they do when they're in possession based on where the field is, the ball is on the field. They have to understand how to transition into defense when the ball's lost on the different parts of the field and everybody has to understand their role. And so I think, uh, I think a coach that can give them a clear vision on that will go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's so many factors beyond who the next coach is, right? Yeah. You, just, you just talked about it. You just broke some of them down from, from culture to long-term development, to uh, a number of issues, infrastructure. Yeah. Um, but from the coach perspective, yeah. what is one 
maybe one key, whether it's an attribute, trait, what have you, something you would like to see in the next U.S. Women's National Team coach, something that uh, that's a key characteristic of theirs that you think, based upon where where the senior, you know, the senior team is right now and what they need, what do you think is maybe one key characteristic needed for the coach? I think the I think the thing is they that the team needs a very um, progressive game model. Um, we've won so much on our um, heart, our competitiveness, our will to never give up. We've won on our athleticism. We've we've won up to this point for a lot of reasons. But at the end of the day, I, I and I use Japan and I use Spain as a model. We have technical players that can play that way. Um, you know, are some of their players a little bit different, maybe a little bit more technical in the position that they play than we have? Possibly, but we have players in this country that can play that way. And I think it's going to take um, a progressive uh, idea of a coach of how to get us playing where we can keep the ball. I, I saw a quote the other day. I think it was, I don't know if it was Heather. No, actually, I think it was Julie Foudy. Something had said, somebody I saw on social media had said, you know, hey, uh, I wish the, you know, Foudy's team was back, back in the day when we used to pass the ball. Yeah. And she came back and said, we never passed the ball like Spain yeah. passed the ball. So I think that's where the game has evolved. You look at what Pep Guardiola's done, you know, when he was in uh, uh, at Barcelona, you see what he's done and he's taken to Germany when he was at Bayern. Now he's taken it to England. Uh, you look at what Spain's doing. Uh, I think we've got to um, to have somebody that can put a, a clear model in um, for us to be able to take that next step in our evolution to be not just an athletic team, not just a fast team, not just a hardworking team, but a team that really clearly has a plan and understands how to keep the ball. You know, in, in the international game, you've got to, you've got to, to be able to play a couple of ways. You, you have to be able to, to keep the ball number one, right? That's how you break teams down. You move the ball enough to find these overloads in the different parts of the field. So you have to have a coach that really understands that and puts that together. Um, but the other thing that you have to be able to do is in the modern game, there's such transition um, yeah. So you have to be able to understand we've won it. Now they're disorganized. Do we attack quickly or we've won it, but they're organized. So now we have to keep it like these are things you have to work and spend time with your players to teach them. It just doesn't happen by, you know, putting 11 out there and and going to play. These are the things that you have to do. So these are some of the things I think are a strength of mine. And, and uh, but I think there's other coaches out there that can do it as well. But mm -hmm. I think this is what the team needs is is getting back and, and are getting to a point where we can, we can keep the ball and, and force teams to have to adjust to, to the possession and the way we play and then have the ability to say, okay, it's not on to go slow. Now it's, it's time to go quick and also have that ability to play in both, both of those scenarios. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about the number of, Obviously, the size of this country, the resources we and I agree with you, we do have players that can play on that yeah. on that technical level. Yeah. But I think the issue is, for, especially when you talk about the development system here is, yeah. you know, and this is a whole other podcast in itself. I know you've heard this plenty of times, coaches, the 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 hindrance really of us continues to be really, you can say, the the pay to play model where we are just simply eliminating large percentages 
of more of those potential technical kids that we could have that just they yeah. they never even have the opportunity right so i get it that's <laughs> that's opening pandora's box because that's a whole other right that's a whole that's another layer of a conversation but yeah i, I think that's that's one that we need to continue to try to make progress even if even if it's you know just bit by bit but yeah. Some, something yeah well and, and and i don't disagree at all um i would say this though i think a lot of people here in the u.s would be surprised to know how many countries have some form of a pay to play uh maybe not to the cost extent that ours is in the u.s right now because it's getting um crazy and in, in, in some parts of the country for sure uh, but I think pay to play model is not just a U.S. thing. So I do think it is a factor. I guess, you know, to my point is, I don't know. That's a that's a, a big problem to deal with because, right. you know, how, how else is it going to be paid for then? If, if parents aren't playing, then you've got to find sponsors. You've got to find other ways to pay for it because the way we are set up to play now, there's travel involved and, and everything else. So somewhere that there's got to be money, you know, for our, our kids to play. Right. But to me, in the meantime, while we're doing this, and I would agree, we're probably missing out some on some really good players that can't afford to play our sport. But even those that can, we have enough of a talent pool right now that our U-17 should be competing every right. World Cup, you know, to, to, to make it into at least a Final Four, right? Our U-20s, and, and we haven't done it. And when I watch those teams play, and I watched both those teams play in the past World Cup this past summer, because uh, I was very interested in the Nigerian U-20s and the Nigerian U-17s, and um, the, the play, the level of those two teams, quite honestly, were, were poor. I mean, it, wasn't, the, it wasn't, wasn't good soccer. It wasn't – they had no idea of how to play. I think if you look in Spain or you look in Japan – you look at their youth teams and their model and the way they play is very much modeled to the way the senior team plays. Mm -hmm. And so there's not this big jump, you know, gap between the age groups. Right. Everybody is playing that way. And I don't see that with us in this country. I, in fact, with the U 17s and, and the U 20 in the last, this last most recent world cup for them, I didn't see any, any real idea of, looking at them going, Oh, I see what they're trying to do. I see how they're trying to play when mm -hmm. they have the ball in the back and building out. I see how they're trying to play when they get into the final third. I just saw again, a lot of good athletes on the field that play soccer uh, that at times could put a few passes together and break a team down. But when they got against the better teams, then um, you know, sure. they, they couldn't solve, they had no answers for it. So yeah. I think it's, it's it's not just our senior team. I, I think we've got to do a really good job of getting coaches uh, in there. And, and I mentioned scouts earlier, and, and I'm just saying that because it's part of the process, but I don't know who's directing the scouts to get the kinds of players that we need. You know, I mean, yeah, does the exactly. U-17 coach say, I want these kind of players, and the scouts go look for it, or are the scouts just on their own and out trying to find what they think are the best players? And what if their thought process is not the same as the head coach? Right. I, don't know, I don't know enough about that process yeah. to be real critical of it. But I do know one thing. I think you need your scouts understanding completely how the game model is for the U-17s. And then when they go to ECNL or GA or they go to high school or they go to any other club, 
you know, to look at players, then they very specifically may say, you know, I pass on this great athlete up front that's scoring all these goals because the way our team plays, that player can't fit into, you know, a possession kind of team that we want to play and that doesn't have the technical abilities to do it. Otherwise, we just keep getting these blends of part of the team right. is technical and part of the team's athletic and right. and the pieces aren't put together well. So I just think it's we've got to really take a hard look uh, because even though they may not immediately affect our senior team for the Olympics, right, um, but eventually for the next World Cup cycle, those players in our U-20s will be in the next World Cup cycle. You know, some of those players right. are going to be elevated to the – to the senior team and then, then the same thing with the 17. So we have to start producing um, a good brand with our, our youth national teams as well. And I just don't think we've done a good job of that, quite frankly. And uh, I'm sorry if that's being critical of mm-hmm. operating and running those programs, but that's just my perception of it and the way I see it. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. It's, it's a clearer spot on analysis from the standpoint. I mean, we look at the, you know, the FIFA young player of the tournament, right? Salma Payawayo, yeah. I mean, 19 years old, and she's won the U17, U20, and yeah. now the, you know, the Senior Women's World Cup at yeah. the age of 19. That's... Yeah. Well, that's, you had, uh, you had uh, the Calcedo in, in uh, Colombia. You know, yeah. In the last years, played in the U17 World Cup and scored, played in the U20 World Cup and scored, and now played in the senior team and has scored. Unreal. You know, same thing at, at 19 years old, and so, um, you know, I, I just think that's it. I think the teams that were successful in the World Cup had a good tactical plan. They had a good understanding of, of a game model of how they wanted to play, and the players carried it out. And the teams that didn't, I don't think, you know, had a, had a good plan in place. Um, yeah. So, but we can do it. We have the talent to do it. I, I think it's, we don't need to, as a country, just say, you know, that everything's, we're so far behind now because, you know, everybody's called us. I Look, we have talent. It's just let's get the right people in places for all of those teams. And um, let's let's get started. Let's, you know, roll up the sleeves and let's get to work with there it. So that's why I kind of hope it's a new, fresh lease that U.S. soccer decides it's time to kind of make a, a, a fresh start with um, uh, the leadership of all these teams moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we start shifting gears here, Coach, got just a couple more for you. Yep. You know, we talk about now your other gig, right? Now that you're back, now that you're yeah. back from uh, from the World Cup uh, pit, right? You you come back, you're off to a great start, two and zero. I yep. just saw just saw the match uh, the other night versus uh, or the other day versus Drexel, four to one, I believe was the final, yep. right? Yep. Um, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, what you know? What can we expect from what can we expect from this squad this season? And what's maybe what's one thing that has you maybe the most excited about this group? Yeah. What I'm really excited about this year is, is the depth. We brought in, you know, a handful of really good players, a couple of internationals and, 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 uh, and then some domestic players to add to, you know, last year we got through to the uh, round of 16 before Florida state knocked us out. Uh, and it was our first, excuse me, our first opportunity to be in the NCAA tournament. And um, we had done that without Amanda West and without Chloe Minas, two of our captains and two of our best players. And then, of course, later in the season, we lost Ashley Moon. So we kind of made this run without three three of our better players. And um, 
to get that deep and that far, I think shows the chemistry that this team has together, the the willingness to fight, you know, for each other and step up and compete. And I think we play a really good brand. Some of these things I'm talking about, about the game model with the U S team, I think we're doing it pit, you know, we're, we're, we're inverting backs, you know, we're, um, getting midfield players to, to interchange and break lines and, uh, the mobility of our midfield, I think, is really, really good. I, I think we play a really nice, attractive brand of uh, possession football, and yet we have enough pace when it's time to counter those things that we talked about. We can do it. But I think this year now we get Amanda West back. We get Chloe Mina's back. Ashley Moon is back, added to the team that did so well last year. And then in addition, we brought in a couple of internationals, um, uh, Sophia Doheny, from Canada up front, I think is going to be a really good player. She would have been with the U-17s in their World Cup had she not picked up an injury before the World Cup. Uh, Aaliyah Gomes, uh, also another Canadian that plays out wide up front for us, I think is going to be a really special player. Then I brought in um, a left back that can also play center back from Austria, uh, Lainey Fuchs, and she just got back from the Euros, the U-19s. I think she's probably got eight eight or nine caps with the senior team under her belt already. Uh, a very, very good player for us. And then we brought in one of my Nigerians, Deborah Abwadan, uh, that played in the first match against Canada. I started her and played her against Canada as a 19-year-old, and she played great. Unfortunately, uh, in, in the extra time, she got a red card, and FIFA decided to punish her three games for some reason, and so she oh, missed wow. the rest of the World Cup. But uh, but she played great, and she's going to be a really, really good player, uh, a midfield player for us. Um, she got her first assist. We didn't start her uh, Sunday against Drexel, but she came on and played about 40 minutes, I think, and got her first assist on, on the fourth goal, I believe. But she's going to be a really special player. So I think we have a chance to to really duplicate what we did and maybe even take it a notch or two farther. Uh, of course, as you know, you get to tournament time and, and playoffs, right. anything can happen. Things kind of fall your way. But I think we have the talent to be uh, highly competitive this year. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm just I'm ready for the, the games to keep coming. You know, I just I want to want to get deeper into it to, right. to show the rest of the country how good I think we really are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes without saying, especially playing and, you know, playing there in the ACC as well. But you're just where that program is, how far you've brought them to work. Cause I remember where they were just not too long oh, ago. Yeah. So great, great work, incredible stuff. Well, Final question for you yeah. here, coach. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. This is one that I've liked to have to ask college coaches as of late, but finish this sentence for me. So the 2023 pit soccer season will be a success. If the 2023 soccer season for the pit women's soccer will be a success if we make it at least to the round of eight to the quarterfinals. There you go. Awesome. I'll do that. Very, I'll very specific. I like I'll, that. I'll take it a step farther than the sweet 16. So uh, we get to the, the final round of eight. We always want to push the envelope. You know, one of the things I, if, if, if in, in all seriousness, uh, all seriousness actor, we, we always talk to our team since I got here and, you mentioned it, but when we got here in 2018, this program was 22 years old when we took it over, and it only had had two winning seasons. So it was it was in a really bad place. And now five years later, you know, we're in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament, and the last two or three years we've been ranked in the top 25. So 
what I what I always challenge the players is this: is we don't want to be a team that's successful. We want to be a team of excellence. And 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 even though those words can be synonymous, I think there's a difference. And what I'm always telling our players is, I mean, I don't want to win more games than we normally win one season, and then the next season not get there again, you know, or I don't want to make it to the sweet 16 or to the NCAA tournament and not get there again. We did it last year. So last year was a successful season, right? We, we, we achieved more than any, any pit team has ever achieved, but we want to do that again. And then we want to do it again. Then you become, think, a team, yeah. then you become a team of excellence. And yeah. that's what we had when I was at Notre Dame, you know, we were always a top two or three team in the country. We played in 14 years. We played in, Every year, an NCAA tournament, we we played in eight Final Fours. We played in five national championship games. So when you thought of Notre Dame during that time, you thought of excellence. And that's what we want to do at Pitt. We don't want to just be successful. We want excellence. So that's why I'm saying let's get us to the round of eight, and I'll consider it, you know, a, a, a um, another year of putting together an, an excellent season. There you go. Great stuff. Yeah. I like how specific that is. I thought I thought you were going to take it one step further and uh, make that reach for the college cup. But it's like, hey, I'll I'll uh, I, won't, I won't put words in your mouth. There. That's, that's <laughs> right. We got we got to keep going. I think a lot of teams set their side at the beginning of the year on um, getting to a final four or winning a national championship. And I think you have to take steps to get to that point before you start saying you're going to you're going to win it. So um if we get into eight, it gives us a chance to get to a final four. Let's put it that way. Right. There so then we have a chance to get there. Absolutely. I like that. I like that coach. Great stuff. Um, real quick here, as we start the segue coach, let us tell, uh, tell everybody about our good friends at Gipper. So Gipper is the way schools, athletic departments, ADs and coaches create world-class marketing content, join over 2,500 coaches, ADs and programs that use Gipper to create high quality visual branded graphics for your program. The best part, anyone can do it in seconds on any device without needing any design experience. If you do have that design experience and you are what they call the power user, then you're going to love this even more because their platform allows you to do so much more. And just for just for being a subscriber, a listener to the 5050 podcast, you're going to get the chance to receive 10% off any first time Gipper purchase. Simply go to gipper.com slash partner slash 5050 to learn more. Again, that's gipper.com slash partner slash 5050. All right. And our other, our other proud partners we want to tell you about our friends at Global Scarves. You know, they, they helped us create our new, our first official, uh, our first official scarf here for the 5050 podcast, along with our spinoff series inside Texas high school soccer. And they've been phenomenal. They've been great. Global Scarves is the top provider of custom knitted, custom knitted scarves, beanies, and other fan merchandise in the United States. All merch is fully custom with free design services and free shipping on all orders. You can contact them at info at globalscarves.com to get any free designs or quotes built out for your school, club, or even if you want to order some personal ones, all right, for your supporters group, maybe. Again, you can contact them, info at globalscarves.com. You can just mention the, the 5050 podcast or give them the code hashtag 5050pod and they'll be sure to take care of you. So. All right, coach. So the buildup is out of the way and now it is time for a second segment, your favorite segment, right? Counterattack where we get to, we get to pick on you a little bit, have some fun, not at your expense, but have some fun with you. So you ready to go? Let's, let's, let's give it a go. All right. Going to put you under fire here, right out of the okay. gate. All right. So three coaches, right? Three legendary coaches. You got to learn from one coach against one and have one become your best friend. All right. Alex Ferguson, 
Pep Guardiola, Marcelo Bielsa? Oh my gosh. Um, <coughs> I would like to learn from Pep Guardiola. I would like to coach against Ferguson and I would like to be friends with Bielsa. Yeah. Nice. That one made you think a little bit, huh? Yeah, you, you did, because Bielsa's kind of been the father of that group, you know. He's kind yeah. of the one that the others went to yeah. uh, to begin with. But, yeah, I, I just love what Pep's doing right now, and I, I'm a big student of of what he does. And um, and you know how I feel about Ferguson, you know. Right. I, wish he was, I wish he was back at my Man United right now, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the names of certain clubs we don't have to mention, Coach. That's okay. Okay, okay. we don't want to make anybody upset with me. All right, I got it. <laughs> No, all good. All good. I, I just, it never fails. It seems like one out of every three podcasts we have, it's somehow the name Manchester United comes up or, Hey, I'm a Manchester United supporter. I was like, yeah. All right. Uh, next one. I think, think this one we didn't ask you before. So I wanted to go ahead and ask you again, just yeah. in case. So, um, any, as a coach, not as a player, any game day superstitions or rituals? Yeah. I hate, to, I hate to say this out publicly on your podcast, but I am very superstitious about what I wear. So, for example, if we if I wear a black top, you know, on one game and we win and we play well, then I've got to wear black again. You know, if we lose, then black is out. I've got to find a new color to wear, uh, whether it be royal blue or gold. And, and, and I got to tell you real quick, funny story on that. When we first took this program over in 2018, because it was so bad when we took it over, um, we weren't three or four games deep into the season where I didn't have any clothes left because we were losing and I had to put a new outfit on and then we would lose again. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really superstitious about doing the same thing. Yeah. You had a big, uh, big closet, huh? Full of clothes. Yeah. I guess. Right. yeah I, I need a lot yeah but that's that, that's getting better now i can start to wear them on on, uh, on multiple occasions now right. instead of uh, every other game i was gonna say now is that limited to just the wardrobe or what about the you know what about the backpack right you got the pit backpack out there you know for, yeah. <laughs> or you gotta change that up too or how does that no it's, it's not so much the backpack now i i do even sometimes go as far as if i shave before the game you know and we won, then then I'll shave. If I if I didn't, then I'm not going to shave because I didn't shave in the last game. So I'm I'm really I, I can pick apart just about anything that I'm doing that is that we all know is responsible whether we win or not. You know, with what I wear or whether I shave or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Just the different takes from coaches. It's hilarious. Yeah. Three words that you would use to describe your coaching style. Three words or less. Teacher. Um, constructive criticism and um, caring, I think. And what I mean by that is I always feel like, of course, my degree is in education. And as you well know, I started out in high school soccer in Texas. So I've always felt like uh, on the field, we're just teachers with a whistle, you know? Right. So um, right. my method is to teach, not to cuss at players or demean them. Um, you know, I think the caring part is I hope all of our players know that I'm there for them, you know, whether it's a soccer related issue or a life issue uh, that I'll always be there for them, even beyond the years that they play for me. So uh, that's that's where the caring part comes from. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I like that. Um, next one. You'll love this one, considering uh, your recent coaching experience. VAR. Yes or no? Oh, wow. Um, 
I still think yes. I think it needs work. You know, I, I, right. I definitely think it needs work, but I do at the end of the day would rather th get things right than, than not. So I, I still say yes. I'm even that way on instant replay in, in the NFL. You know, I mean, it's, I think sometimes VAR still gets it wrong. I don't think it's perfected yet, but, um, but I, I think we're headed down the right path. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, here's the next one, coach, since you really haven't been that busy as of late, right? <laughs> Maybe a book you are currently, you're currently reading or recently read. Yeah, I have to be honest with you. Just I have been a little bit busy lately, and I haven't had a chance to uh, to read a book lately. I'm trying to think of the last one. I think the last time we were here, I mentioned The Gold Standard by Mike Krzyzewski to you mm -hmm. as one of the, the books that I really enjoyed that I read. Um, but I think Pep Guardiola's book is probably the most recent book that I read. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed that, obviously. I, I love getting not only soccer coaches, but other coaches of other sports. I like to read what they're doing because I can always pick up a little bit of something that they share that I can translate into our sport. So yeah. my, my shelf is full of, uh, you know, other coaches, uh, memoirs and books. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, you know, what I wanted to share, cause I have it, I actually have it up here is, uh, one. So, um, I took over, I recently had a coaching change as well, right. Mm -hmm. Just took over a new program. Yep. So as I've done it over the last handful of times, I think I'm giving this a third one. I'm sure you've heard of this one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Inverting the Pyramid, the History yep. of Football Tactics. Yeah. Phenom phenomenal yep. book. So I've got that book as well. It's on my shelf. Yeah. Right. So every time now, and I've kind of made it a tradition now, whenever I step in new program, right, new players, I yeah. like to go through that again. Yeah. And uh, it's I've, I've found it to be very beneficial. So. Yeah. Yeah. And congratulations on your move, by the way. I know I think I sent you a message, but definitely you uh, Thank you. that's good to hear. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, professional coach, you pattern yourself after, if there is one. Long time. Doesn't have to be obviously a, anything current, but yeah. You know, I, I don't know that any of the old school guys I would pattern myself after. And even as much as I admire Fergie, I, I don't think I've got that personality. Um, I'm probably more along and in line with some of the modern day coaches, maybe, maybe a little bit of, of Pep, maybe a little bit of Eddie Howe, those kind of guys that are um, finding ways to reach their players without, you know, without the iron fist, the discipline, those kind of stories that we hear, the Vince Lombardi stories, you know, those kind of, I think uh, those kind of athletes. Now we have a whole different generation of athletes that, uh, right. that handle things differently. So uh, something a little bit more of those kind of coaches that maybe are more in a, a modern style, you know, uh, an Arteta, those guys would be I yeah. probably who I'm a little bit more like. Yeah. yeah. Still no Jurgen Klopp in there, right? I'm still waiting I'm to hear that one. He's like still, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I do like him, but I, it's, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not that style either. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Current, uh, maybe on that long flight back, I'm sure you had, had an opportunity. Current music playlist. Maybe a couple of songs that you. Uh, you know what? People are people are probably going to rip me now on on this playlist <laughs> because I'm really going to show my age. But I put on before I left for Australia uh, because I wanted to continue to try to exercise while I was there. I put on my Spotify. I have um, the best of Chicago. I have Michael Jackson. I have. Um, 
the Bee Gees. And I, again, I told you I'm going to get ripped for this. <laughs> the Bee Gees. And then I have uh, my good old country. I've got Rascal Flats on there. So that's kind of what's on my Spotify right now. Yeah. Okay. So don't don't judge me, you guys out yeah. there. Just, you know, bear with me. I, I am a little bit older. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was kind of with you there you, until you, you dropped the Bee Gees a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you know why the Bee Gees? Because I, I, I love the Saturday Night Fever or whatever the movie is. Right. So that right. soundtrack, you know, I, I, I uh, th that that's why I've got the Bee Gees in there. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So, so we're not going to see any like limited uh, breaking footage of you dancing in the streets <laughs> of Australia for that. No, no I don't no. think you're going to see it. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see any of that from me. All right. Yeah. All right. Current podcast playlist coach anything anything you got on there on the on the regular no not not really i mean uh obviously i try to keep up with what you're, you're doing and what you guys are doing here um a couple of the podcasts that i've been on recently uh the soccer coaches chat and a couple of um you know erica's suitors uh podcast mm -hmm. i like to kind of keep up with what she's doing because i think she does a great job especially with the fitness uh, piece for, for women and, right. and players there. Uh, but that's really about all I've, I've kind of followed and, and listened to. Yeah. 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 She's uh she's, yeah, she does. She puts out exceptional, you yeah. know, exceptional resources, exceptional quality work for sure. And uh, yeah, we got uh, your Saturday night fever soundtrack is being qu in question for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to live this one down. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> and we thank you as well for, yeah. for your, your support of the podcast here. We yeah. greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you do a great job. And, and um, I love the fact that uh, your podcast is wide ranging, but your roots are with high school. Um, because I think that's something that, that I, I always cherish. I remember, I have so many great memories of all my coaching, even with my high school teams. And, uh, you know, still stay in touch with a lot of the players that played for me back in high school. So I, I have an affinity for high school soccer for sure. Yeah. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. Thank you, coach. Three words. All right. So, and let me know, I have a dump button if we need to hit any bleeps here, coach. So okay. Three words that your players would use to describe you. Country. Um, <laughs> 70s throwback. <laughs> Um, yeah, probably with my haircut. Yeah. Um, and I would hope they would say, uh, knowledgeable, you know, I, I would hope, I would hope they would say that, but country, because, you know, my, I still have my Southern accent and I still, I still say words like furthest instead of farthest. And I still say ain't and, you know, when I shouldn't and y'all and all of those good things. So they, now, they how, was, how was the y'all received in Australia? They did not great. Not great. They didn't know what they didn't know what I was talking about. You know, they looked at me like, what does that mean? Uh, yeah. Uh, and of course, up here in Pittsburgh, it's 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 use or, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, yeah, I'm I was corrected when I went to Notre Dame years ago. I can remember a girl named Neotis Erickson that played for me and I was she was a striker and I was telling them on the field I was going, you know, you need to hit the furthest player away. And I kept saying furthest and all these educated girls that are at Notre Dame were looking at me and they just go, coach, I think the word's farthest. And, and I said, well, not in Texas. It's not, it's the furthest players, you know? So, uh, so I'm oh, always yeah. conscious of that, but I, I'm not going to lose my, my Texas roots. I, I promise you right. that's always going to be there. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great to hear. Great yeah. to hear. Yeah. Um, all right. 
couple more for you, coach. So this one is, this is definitely one I like to ask every coach is Randy Waldrum is appointed soccer czar in America today, right? So everything goes in charge of all of soccer. What is the very first thing you'd change in soccer in America tomorrow? I would get, I would work hard in the youth system to get a more unified um, youth program in place. I, I don't, I don't like the ECNL over here and, you know, GA over, I mean, yeah, the GA over there and USYS over here. Like we have too many alphabet, you know, uh, too many elite leagues going on elite, out there, yeah. you know? So I, I think uh, a revamping of our youth system uh, is in order. You know, it, it's, in, it's interesting because I'm almost, I'm almost in the mindset that years ago we had this right when we played in our youth leagues, just kind of within our own state and you got a state cup champion and then you went to regionals and then you went to nationals. And then we had an ODP system that you played for a state team. And then you went to the regional camp and played. If you were good enough from regional camp, you went to national camp. And now, you know, we've come full circle and, and you start looking at that model and you go, actually, that wasn't too bad of a model we had back then, you know, and, Kids weren't having to travel every weekend two or three states away to to get a game in, and and uh, so I I just I think we'd have to take a look at the at the youth system would mm -hmm. be my biggest project to begin with. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said, great stuff. Um, obviously, obviously, again, you we know you've been busy, right? But last, most recent, last real binge watch that you had Netflix, Prime Video, what have you you know, any type of series? What was the last real binge watch you had? Um, I, let me think about this because I, I watched a couple. Uh, probably the uh, Jack Ryan on Netflix. Yeah. Um, the most recent? Probably been the most recent, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. yeah, I was kind of disappointed that I think it, it was only like six episodes. I think. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't wasn't long enough, but I think right. that's probably the most recent one that I've watched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. It was very good. Yeah. All right. Final one, Coach. So this one's a little bit more uh, introspective, I guess you could say, okay. uh, or reflective. Uh, one thing, if you could go back, one thing you'd change about maybe your playing career and your coaching career. Yeah. Not not a regret piece, but just something yeah. that you would tweak or you you'd wish you would have evolved in sooner, maybe. Yeah, my my playing career. Um, you know, I left Midwestern State and was drafted in the old ASL and played a you know just a brief time out in LA, and then I was traded to Indianapolis, and then the leagues folded, uh, mm -hmm. the ASL folded, so I kind of had to go get a real job at that point. So in my playing career, I probably. Um, would have taken my college. I, I was a good, really good college player, but back then we didn't have all the sports science and, you know, the fitness stuff. You kind of, you, you were being a college student and you played the game, you know, you trained right. and you played games. So I'd have probably put more of a commitment into the playing part. And maybe I could have jumped over to the NASL once the ASL folded. And so I, I felt like looking back in retrospect, if I'd have been a little bit more, disciplined um maybe my pro career would have lasted a little longer 
my coaching career, my biggest regrets, I guess, um, I'm not, I'm not really one to look back too much. I always like to look forward, but I do have some regrets when I see my kids at Tulsa, when I first started coaching university of Tulsa, the men and the women back in 1989, I killed those kids, you know, in the, in the preseason and fitness and all that stuff. Cause back then we had no idea of the knowledge of yeah, yeah. sports science and how long it takes to get fit and, and recovery. You know, the, the proper recovery and the proper rest. Yeah. And I can remember making those kids run till, <laughs> till they puked and you thought it was a good practice because you made somebody throw up, you know? And, and uh, so yeah. when I see them, I half jokingly tell them I, every time I see them, I say, I have to apologize to you. I, I had no idea what I was doing back then, but you know, obviously as a young coach, it was one of my first, first head coaching jobs uh, in the NCAA and, you know, back then I, I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, and so right. I'd yeah. like to be a little bit better prepared. Um, but at the same time, you know, no regrets um, from that standpoint, because I had great kids. Luckily, everywhere I've been, I've had some really, really good kids that I've continued to stay in touch with, you know, yeah. since my time coaching them. Right. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it, Coach. We're another one in the books. We've really loved having you back. I know, again, you're busy, literally just <laughs> just got back from halfway around the world because I still remember to this. I still remember vividly that they told me, you know, Australia, New Zealand is the furthest point you can go, the furthest you can go away before you're on your way back, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you're so, right. You know, having been through all of that and just the the roller coaster and the drama that is the, you know, the World Cup, Right. And then now right back, hit the ground running with your team there at Pitt. We really appreciate you, you know, making the time for us. And as is customary, right, we like to finish with our, our stoppage time here, our final thoughts. So anything you'd like to share, whether it's just shout outs, thank yous, uh, recognizing recognizing someone or something, or, or just any thoughts as it relates to the game, the floor is yours. Yeah, really, uh, the only thing I'd, I'd mention is obviously we had some – you know, issues with the Federation before in Nigeria, the World Cup. But I think uh, once we got to the World Cup, some of those things are coming around and and being resolved. So certainly the support from them, more importantly, from the players. Um, you know, I can't thank the players enough there from Nigeria for the memories they're going to give me for a lifetime for that World Cup. Um, and then really, you know, just – to the players at Pitt, just so excited to be back and ready to go and see what the season holds for us. Uh, I can't wait. The last thing finally is, I, I, you know, was very active on Twitter, starting to be a little bit more active before I left. And I started this coaches community on there. Right. And just to, to let everybody know, number one, as soon as I started, and I think I had four or five coaches and uh, four or 500 coaches immediately get in so some things will be coming out with that coaching co community now that I'm back from the World Cup here very soon. But really what I envision that is being is I've had so many coaches reach out and just ask questions. And I always try to get back and answer and respond uh, when I can. And I thought it would be a great place for a group of coaches to get on. People can feel free to ask me questions. I can respond with my opinions and advice. Other coaches can chime in and, and share how they've handled those situations. And I think it could give us a great network of, of coaches to share idea. I know coaching schools are so expensive now. Uh, young coaches just getting into the game need help and need guidance. Right. Also want to use it as a little bit of a mentoring um, community. So coaches can reach out to me individually and 
you know, I'm happy to do some mentoring for those coaches. That's something that's always been a passion of mine. So I think there's a lot of things uh, that, that's neat. You know, I think we can get on collection as a group of coaches and, and put together some kind of a, not a, not a podcast and competition with you, but maybe a coaching kind of a podcast where Absolutely. we're picking a topic, you know, and, Absolutely. and we're bringing coaches on in, in the community that want to listen in and have various coaches, you know, uh, question them a little bit about the actual X's and O's in the coaching part. So I think there's a lot we can do with it. Uh, more will be coming out on that soon, but uh, those would be my, my shout outs to what's going on in my life. Yeah, yeah that's great. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. And you know, I think, I think it's a, it's a phenomenal thing in terms of the coaches community. And I know you're just really getting it off the ground, but uh, you know, we look forward to seeing more on that. And, and as you know, in any way, shape, or form that we can help you out along the way, we'd love to be a part of it for sure. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I, I will probably hit you up. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's what that's what we put it out there for, Coach. Thank you. All right. And, uh, you know, final thoughts from my perspective, just, uh, you know, high school is in full swing now. Every Or just about everybody is back. Um, student athletes starting, those in your athletic periods, hydrate. Hydrate, you know, we're going through like record heat here here in texas and uh so yeah just hydrate stay stay on top of your stuff and uh, coaches same thing checking in proper uh you know proper proper mental health and as far as you know just assessing your players and just keeping a closer eye on them in this heat as well so um and then club players just around the state of texas as well their seasons are getting going stay on top of your hydration as well so wishing everybody the best of luck as they kick off their their fall club seasons and here in 2023 and then, and as well as just about everybody returning to the, uh, the new high school year as well. So that's going to do it. So for coach, uh, coach Waldron, thank you again for joining us. Sincerely appreciate it. Uh, very proud of you and also wishing you and your squad at Pitt the absolute best. I have a feeling you're, uh, We'll be seeing you play in uh, late late November, possibly maybe. Dare I say, early December. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me again. As as I said, it's always a pleasure, and uh, I just appreciate all you're doing for our sport. So keep up the great work. Appreciate you, Coach. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, for our supporters, again, you know where you can find us. You can find us on on what do I call it now? I guess X, Twitter X. All right, at 50 underscore 50 pod on Instagram at 50 underscore 50 podcast. You can also uh, follow us, subscribe. You get notifications on YouTube at the 50 underscore 50 podcast, as well as on Twitch at 50 underscore 50 pod. That's our newest platform that we're slowly trying to get off the ground uh, and go and sign up for the newsletter. Our, our uh, recruiting insider, Frank Court III, just, they just dropped the uh, new newsletter number two, just dropped today, actually, hours before this episode. So special thanks to him as well. He's been working hard on that. He's been doing phenomenal work. There's a ton of information in there, tons of resources. So whether you're a student athlete, whether you're a parent, whether you're another high school coach, or even if you're a college coach, go in there, please subscribe because there's a lot of great information going on in there. So as we look to grow that as well. So for our listeners, for our supporters, for Coach Waldrum, thank you to everybody. And until the next time, you know what to do. Keep downloading and keep listening. You've been listening to the 5050 Podcast, powered by National Scouting Report. Help us continue to grow by liking, rating, and subscribing on all major podcast platforms. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at 50 underscore 50 pod, on Instagram at 50 underscore 50 podcast, as well as on YouTube at the 50 underscore 50 podcast. Until the next time, keep downloading 